Hey, everybody. Just wanted to give a quick apology for both the delay getting this episode out and the technical difficulties that pervade the majority of the episode. It sounds fine, but it's a little wonky here and there. So thanks for understanding. Hope you enjoy. Grimoire. We're going to talk to news and we're going to talk <laughs> Apophis Club. We're going to talk to the news. We're going to talk. talk we're going to the shoes. We're going <laughs> to get rid of those blues. <laughs> we're going to talk. We're going to do about it all with attitude. No, 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 no. <laughs> canceled. Can oh, canceled. Oh, oh. And we're uh, going to do it without any juice? <laughs> Not no, just, just, just as bad, actually. <laughs> why were you, you doing mean? the Adam Sandler voice? Like, why is that? Like, is that what, is that what you some... think of Jewish people? Like, they're all Adam Sandler? <laughs> yeah, they're all eight crazy nights away from owning a fucking gemstone <laughs> factory or whatever the fuck his movies are about. I want to see a movie of Adam Sandler, but it's like all of his roles at once. The multiverse, like the Adam Sandler multi-universe, <laughs> across God. the Sandlerverse. Ugh, I would watch it. Finally, I guess. we'd figure out who would win in a fight between Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. Who's the um, Who's the strongest Adam Sandler incarnation? Do you think? Bob, I think it's Bobby a little Boucher. Nicky. It's Bobby fucking Boucher. Maybe the guy from Click. Did either of you see Click? Yeah, he he had omnipotent powers, but like via a remote. Yeah, he has to be able to wield the. It's like the Infinity Gauntlet. Like, <laughs> yeah, like he's omnipotent. Yeah, but like, imagine if the Infinity, but like, but like <laughs> worse because you can just like drop that shit and like, oh fuck. You can just drop that in the couch. Yeah. Oh, sorry, honey. I I killed your parents. I dropped the remote in the couch. Oh, honey, sorry. I, I accidentally hit the wrong button on the remote. Now I'm married to your sister. It's not my fault. It's the it's the remote's fault, honey. The first aeon, I was the great spirit. In the second aeon, men knew me as the horned god, pangenitor, panthage. In the third aeon, I was the dark one, the devil. In the fourth aeon, men knew me not, for I am the hidden one. In the fifth aeon, I appeared before you as Baphomet, the god before all gods who shall endure to the end of the earth. In this new aeon, I appear to you as C. M. Imagine that there is a brilliant white light just above. Is commentary on the magic art. In the year of the final form, the dawn of terrestrial birth. Oh, that was very educational. Now magic will take place. Don't be fooled by what I just said. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. I am serving the masses, Kennedy, and this is Chaos Magic News. The only bi-monthly podcast that comes out once a month. Joining me, as always, is my timely co-host, Cindy Lou, Doctor Who. <laughs> you hate it, don't you? Yeah, that's that's really bad. <laughs> Do you have a better name? You just hit play again. <laughs> how, how are you? How are you? How are you doing? <laughs> how, let's move. We're gonna ignore this and we're gonna move on.
Um, I'm okay. You doing all right? Uh, I'm terrible. That bad, huh? Is it because of what I did, or it was it something before the podcast? No, I just um. <laughs> friend of the show made a comment about it's interesting because I know things have been going on in your guys' personal lives, but you never let it show in the in the episodes. You guys are focused on being entertaining and putting out a good show rather than saying, like, let me complain about my wife leaving me. Oh, well, thanks for telling them. Um, I feel great. Wonderful. I'm just focusing on having a good show for everybody. Don't let the pain show. Don't let, let them the see pain. you cry. Don't let them see you cry. But no, no, no. No, everything's fine. Maybe a little bit of the the holiday hecticness and then doing a special where we went and focused on the Grant Morrison stuff for a while. So it's always a weird misstep because it's like, ah, we just did a special. What the fuck is there left to talk about? We seem to have a pretty good rhythm of like, you'll get a special every 10 episodes. And I think we, we probably go about what, maybe four or five episodes. And then we have somebody on as a guest, that sort of thing. Also, what we tend to be good about is once we have a, a special, when we're trying to drag new people in, we give a fun, informative, and compelling episode right after the special to get them hooked. No, no, we've not once done that. We have really bad episodes because we're like, fuck, I'm so tired after doing the specials. No, we have a we have a we them boys, the boys is back kind of episode. It's like, ah, oh, we just <laughs> we're just having fun here. We're some goofy, goofy guys. Yeah, just a little weirdo, dude. All right, and let's have a wave. Buddy. Let's have a wave behind the glass to showrunner Gary. This has become the norm, I think. You know, we're going to have Gary helping us out and occasionally chiming in. So congrats on becoming the third wheel. I haven't eaten in three days, Lord. I'm very excited for this next one. Hopefully then we'll be able to make enough for the evening stew or perhaps... Uh... I'm not paying you. I don't care how many Cockney fucking Oliver Twist characters you do. You're not getting any money for this. Get back behind the glass. Ah, bugger, you fucking piece of fucking... Did I, did I do good? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I took the reins on this episode because I have some interesting stuff that I've been doing, so I want to get everyone else's thoughts on it. So our, our topic today, we're going to talk about the grimoire traditions in light of chaos magic. As you probably know, we're a, a chaos magic centered podcast. I, I, I hope you guys get that. Hopefully you read. Hopefully you read or hopefully you listen to the first part of the episode where I say the name of the show something. I've always been a very big fan of the older traditional, specifically the post-Renaissance kind of grimoire and Solomonic magic tradition. I've always been a big fan of that sort of thing. The Lesser Key of Solomon, but also things like, you know, Grimorium Verum, which I'm very big on. As everyone in our Discord knows, shell for the Discord, I, I speak very highly of the various spirits and practices outlined in that text. It's my go-to for simpler things. I have some very interesting relationships with that as a work. I've never performed anything from it completely to the letter. Obviously not, because if you know anything about that one, one of the steps is you got to go kill a goat and I'm not about it. <laughs> okay. And that's really the crux of what you're getting at too, is that there are these very intricate systems of magic outlined in these books that are very specific about what items you're supposed to procure, the times of day, the very formulaic processes by which you conjure and summoning demons with the Goetia is 
if done to the letter is actually complicated. It's hard. It's something that you might spend a week, if not weeks, just preparing to do one thing. Right. And you have like 18 things to do. And the contrast there being chaos magic where, and not to criticize chaos magic, because we do enough of that on the show, but a lot of times it's the idea of stripping away the things that are unnecessary. But sometimes there's a perhaps a laziness <laughs> lazy that's really what i'm getting sometimes that's what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah. is that chaos magic can in a way become very lazy in the idea of like oh i don't need this specific type of tree branch or i don't need to find i don't need to find a crossroads or i don't need to get the graveyard dirt i'll just use something else does it have to be like a silver chalice or can i use this plastic dollar store wine glass that i got because it's got like a cool skeleton hand on the side and it you know it's neat oh it says i need a jeweled headdress well i have a burger king crown i'm sure this will be yeah, fun. And I'll, I'll bring up one of my favorite authors on the, the subject, Christopher Hyatt, where uh, there's an interview where he talks about people being lazy with magic. And it's like, I need a, you, you go with the grimoires and you say, oh, well, am I going to get the tree branch from a willow? Ah, uh, man, nah, that's pretty hard. I'll just get a cedar one. And then you do that four or five times making substitutions. And then you complain that it didn't work. That's exactly what I was thinking of. I was trying to remember where it was from but yeah i think he was specifically talking about people that don't know anything about magic like trying to he was i think he was discussing how to test magic and people he's like well one of the problems is people don't actually do anything right from my experience it is very much a balancing act i won't be bold enough to say that i've never done anything completely by the book i've definitely done some things from the lesser key of solomon by the book almost entirely which is again quite an undertaking but for the most part all the workings i've done especially i know for a fact from the grimorium verum have been adapted in some sort of way to fit the fact that like i said i'm not gonna go kill a goat to get skin a big part of it comes down to that when these grimoires were written, like you talk, talk about like post-Renaissance or even pre-Renaissance, Picatrix and stuff like that, the overall paradigm that these magicians were working in is completely different than what we have today. And oh, yeah. chaos magic, people talk about paradigm shifting and this, that, and the other. But if we're going to get to the crux of what people generally think nowadays, it's, it's the notions of intent people seem to believe that the bedrock of what makes magic work is something that's going on in like the mental space or consciousness, or people talk about a ubiquitous sort of energy that permeates the universe and that sort of thing. Right. But there is increasingly less and less people that have an enchanted worldview where they're running around actually talking to demons and spirits and stuff when you're doing this sort of thing. And that there are complicated or at least quantifiable in some way or qualifiable reasons why you would have to use these materials at these sorts of times. There's just not nearly as many people nowadays that have that kind of view. There are plenty of them, but overall... You can't make a lot of people will tell you, oh, you don't actually need any tools to do magic. While I've made magic work without any sorts of tools, just a, a few short months ago, I was doing the shamanic stuff from Libra K where I had used 
very little of anything. It was about engaging in trance states and stuff like that, and then dealing with entities and mental constructs, for lack of a better word. You could make the argument that it's like, nah, you were talking to spirits, but I didn't use any tools for it. You know, maybe like drumming on stump something or something like that. Right, but you didn't go get a specific type of metal and form it into a shape because otherwise the spirits won't show up and listen to you. Yeah, I didn't even wait for, oh, this is the right hour to call up this person. Mm. You know, that sort of thing. It was more about what was going on in a mental plane rather than a physical. In my experience of working with these various things, I think, admittedly, a lot of it did come down to this sort of intentionality behind it, right? Where it was like, look, I know I can't do X, Y, or Z, but I can do everything else as closely as possible. Maybe there is a certain level of it in that it was just like, for me to make it work in the paradigm that I'm in at the moment, I have to do everything as closely as possible unless I just can't do it at all, right? And we could make the argument that that's what's making it work. I, I do think having recently in the past two weeks done two different workings and I, it wasn't like a test of like, oh, I'll do one this way and one the other way. But I will say that the first one I did a lot closer to the prescribed methods and I got far stronger results I think at least as far as the experience of it as far as I can tell knock on wood and keep silent but as far as I can tell they're both working fine I got a, quite a lot more of a connection with whatever was going on by following things a lot closer Again, we can't really argue whether or not that's because, well, you got it because you felt like you did more stuff, so you could believe it more or whatever, or if that there was something to it. I think that within Chaos Magic, there has to be a reason why we would still go to these sorts of things to begin with. I know plenty of Chaos don't. Maybe it even has something to do with the fact that it feels so grounded, right? When you get like a full system of something with all these complicated rules that you have to follow and like hierarchies of spirits that you're dealing with as you're trying to perform some sort of operation, it just feels so solid and formed. You're like, well, it's like, all right, I know the game. So as long as I just play the game, yeah, yeah. it'll work, right? There could also be something said for the idea of that you get out what you put in. Like you said, maybe you believe in it more. or Maybe the act of performing these uh, intricate rituals does something because you're engaging with it more and you're engaging with it on every level. When you prepare a ritual space with a very specific construction in mind, you're not only putting effort into it during the ritual, but you're putting effort in gathering the supplies, building the area to the exact specification. So it's turning from a single one-time action into something that you're turning your mind towards constantly until the moment. Phil Hine talked about that, where mm. he said, even from a chaos magic perspective, it's like, I still, I'll spend a week or two weeks preparing to do a, a single ritual and I'm going to, I'm going to go all out. There are those moments of spontaneous magic. There are those times where it's like, well, shit, I need to do something fast. But if you know something is important, you need to put effort into it, right? You know, and that's, that's right. basic. That's whether you're doing magic or you're writing a book or you're planning a surprise party for your kid. It doesn't matter. You get out what you put in. What I think is so interesting about the grimoire tradition from a chaos magic perspective too is the overall development of it historically. The late Jake Stratton Kent, who 
as you may or may not know, has a book on the Grimoire Verum called The True Grimoire, which is just an English translation of the title. And he goes into a lot of the history and the sort of alterations that get through different printings of it or in different versions. For instance, Fremost uh, sigil gets flipped around and redrawn in different ways. So it becomes something completely different by modern standards. And then that goes over to Quimbata tradition, but the sigil ends up something else entirely down there. You never hear that anyone says, oh yeah, like that version of the text won't work at all because it's got the wrong sigil in it. And no one is going like, oh yeah, that entire tradition down there in that country is complete garbage because they got incorrect demon sigils from a misprint in the textbook. They all work and they all seem to have some legitimacy. I mean, go pick your demon grimoire. Go look at some demon in there. I can guarantee you that that demon has roots in some other fucking grimoire tradition. Maybe it was a god somewhere, or maybe it's just like a name that someone invoked in some random Gnostic text that someone then spelled completely wrong because it was a different fucking language. So now it's like a different demon. Uh, that shit I mean, is like uh, all the, the, over the place down there. A Braxis comes to mind. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the grand archon of a particular school of thought Gnosticism, but then it's it's listed as a, a demon in the infernal, whatever the fuck. And there's also people that claim like he goes back to Egypt or he was a demon here, that sort of thing. Now, I guess the, the only thing that's different is Zeus doesn't show up as like a demon and elsewhere. But it, it really has a lot to do with the fact that these were not concrete. Magic is and always will be a living tradition where things mutate and shift over time. Maybe chaos magic in the same way where things are now readily and consciously reinterpreted and changed. That was going on well, well back in the, 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 the times that we consider much more dogmatic and much more, no, this is the objective, correct way. It still wasn't. Things were changing and altering this gets flipped around and this name gets used here and it gets changed to this it's always been going on the overall practical application of magic has still held strong for the people that buy into it at least so where does that leave us as far as following the grimoires you know i think it comes down to the same things we always talk about pinky the grimoire traditions now offer you are practices that have both a historic ground and practice base, they offer a specific set of instructions and sometimes even theory behind them. And what do we always talk about on this show now? You guys know what our big contribution to the magical discussion has become at this point. It's that practices create intelligibility. So when someone gives you a book and says, look, this thing's going to tell you how to summon demons and then you're going to be able to like make them sign paper and get them to come whenever you call them. And they'll like get you that girl and they'll tell you when to go play the lottery tickets and they'll find treasure. They're always finding treasure. That's actually a really big thing in the grimoire tradition that no one ever talks about. So sidebar here, you know how many demons are just like that you can find treasure. You know what I mean? Like spells are just like find treasure. Treasure finding was like a way bigger deal back in the day. I heard this on a video not too long ago and I wanted to bring it back up on the show, but we had already done like the, the mentioning the Pennsylvania laws against fortune telling. Oh yeah. 
that law is actually very specific about a number of things. It's not just fortune telling. It's telling the future, casting enchantments, curses, and charms, and all of this stuff. But one of the things it mentioned specifically is that like a fortune teller cannot tell you where to go b- dig up buried treasure. God damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. It's not I guess. that those yeah. things are illegal. It's illegal for someone to accept money to tell you that, which really is that this is a law to keep people from being scammed by folks that say that they can see the future and talk to ghosts. And find buried treasure. I, I think it's just kind of funny because it makes me wonder if this was a big enough problem and was the problem that, Oh, this person took my money. Cause they said they could talk to, they could talk to demons or was it like, you guys really have to stop digging up random. <laughs> I had a dream where they said, dig up under this fountain. Mr. Mayor, you don't understand. They said, dig right where the fucking gas lines are. I got to do it. Rip to Solomonic spirits to find treasure. Y'all would have loved geocaching. I'm trying to think what the modern equivalent of finding buried treasure is, you know? Um, going viral on TikTok. One, I don't think demons can help you go viral. Finding a new cryptocurrency. <laughs> this just in CMN coin is now at a new height. Uh, y'all need to be buying, and I will not tell you where or how, as it's not legal advice. Uh, demon coin. <laughs> to the moon. moon. <laughs> I think what we learned here is that Goisha coin is going to be super lit. Oh, I did. Goisha coin. We could circle back to the Simon Necronomicon, right? That's specifically like an, an instance of a modern grimoire where someone is writing a very specific, you need to get a slab of gold and do it at this hour. And you got to have the kooky sword and you got to say all the barbarous names. The sword that you have to like kill people with, right? No, it doesn't say anything like you got to kill people with it. I, don't think. I thought you had to it's do been some while. ridiculous thing with the sword. I don't think it was kill people. You talked about the true grimoire and stuff. Do you have any, do you have any like favorites as far as like the grimoire tradition? The true grimoire is the one that I have the most experience with just because I think I found it when I was still relatively new into magic. It was one of those things that the first couple times I did it, I fucked everything up and it didn't really work. And one time when I was super desperate, I got it to work. And ever since then, it's been an easy go-to problem solver. It's not something I do all the time, but it's like whenever I have problems that I know are already well out of my hands and can be affected in ways that might be helpful by the little dudes over there, it's a pretty easy go-to. I already have some of the stuff anyway, so it just keeps it around. You know, obviously the Key of Solomon, everyone likes that one. You know, it's the classic. It's got the best talismans in the world. You see him tattooed on dude bros and they're in your brain uh what about you you got any particular interest in the grimoire tradition Nah, i'm really bad at it <laughs> not even as a joke i'm not super good when it comes to like these really or like I, i've made ornate rituals on my own and i've done stuff but like when it comes to opening these things my eyes glaze over a little bit maybe it's something i need to work out more but yeah I told myself that when I got to the ritual portion of Lieber K that I was going to go back to the Simon Necronomicon. And because I, I mentioned I got that sword with the weird dragon handle that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone pulled it out of a traffic cone. No, it was, I was getting a tattoo done and I saw the sword impaled through the top of a traffic cone like a sword in the stone. And I pulled it out to look at it. And my tattoo guy responded with, hey, do you want that? I want it gone. <laughs> I was like, what? 
But he was like, nah, it's just, it's just taking up space. I think I said that very early on the pod where I was like, I was going to go back to the Simon Economicon and maybe use that as my sword. But we'll see how that goes. Hell yeah. You should do it because it's committing to the bit. And that's what we're about here. <laughs> but the problem really just comes down to that. It's I, I still don't like the Simon Necronomicon because it's not what it says it is. <laughs> you know, there's nary a Cthulhu to be found. Hey, you should think about this, though, because that's actually a mark of a of a legitimate grimoire. Because they're always claiming to be like the knowledge of Solomon. And they're like, oh, this is like Hebrew high magic. And you're like, no, no, it's not. There's at least the it, there's at least the the stories of like, yeah, Solomon used demons to construct the temple and stuff like that. I, I know that came later, but like there's at least that somewhat little bit of history. Nah, dude, I think they're I think they're it's the same fucking shit because they're just like, oh, yeah, like Lovecraft, you know, the Lovecraft stuff that was totally real. And Sumerian. Yeah. Yeah. That's about the level of what some of these are going to. I tried doing some stuff with the, the Zaraguin that are outlined in Bertio's Gnostic Voodoo. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I cannot for the life of me find the actual Vive, whatever the hell you call it. The term in actual Voodoo, it's V-E-V-E, which I'm uh-huh. 100% sure how to pronounce because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's also one of those words. I don't fuck with actual Voodoo because that ain't my lane. The idea of, of trying to hold the Gnostic voodoo to the standards of actual voodoo, I just don't fuck with. But it really bothers me that Bertio never made a drawing or anything like that showed. <laughs> Here's what it actually is, because I found like three different versions and they're all radically different. Are you sure he hasn't? Have you like looked around for it? I know it's not in the workbook, but... Like I said, I haven't found anything that's 100% from Bertio saying, hey, here's the thing. I guess maybe I could try to get a hold of him. He's still kicking, but... Yeah, just ask him. Then I'd just be tempted to ask him to come on the show. Oh, that's so terrible. Why would we want Michael Birdio on the show? He said he wanted to fuck the OTO in their ass. But they like that. That's like well, their jam, well, right? N- not, when, not when he does it. Let's call this. This whole episode was a bad idea. This is why you don't let me take the reins. No, you were doing fine. I just, like, derailed it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Do we want right. to move on to the next segment? Yeah, let's do that. All <laughs> right. It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Name <laughs> your <laughs> child. We found three lovely babies on the street. <laughs> and now it's up um, to you to decide. Will they Tim-yul? be a Timuel. <laughs> Timuel. <laughs> Timuel, that's what we're naming my child. Atticus. <laughs> and G, you get the last one. Finch. Perfect. All right. And that wraps up everyone's favorite segment. We're going to go to the next one. Gary, if you'll stop the recording, please. Okay. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> and a click. <laughs> I'm not actually stopping the recording for that, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. I'm sorry, listeners. I'm so sorry, listeners. <laughs> All right, now moving on from the opening discussion, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. It's time to ask, what's in the news? So what do we have in the news? Well, the the problem is it's been like almost a month since we did an episode because we did the special. So 
We have some catching up to do. Yeah. All right. First off, George Santos actually got expelled. That's fucking crazy. That's hilarious. First, I thought it was really nuts where it was like, oh, man, this is going to open the door for everybody. But actually doing some digging into George Santos, it's a miracle he ever got as far as he did. Like this man I mean, is yeah. a series of cons and scams and outright stealing. I've had people smarter than me even explain to me the ways in which you do things like hide your campaign funding and move it around in ways that it's legal. And if Santos was smart or he understood how the game was played, he could have done this and this. But instead, he like stole his family members' credit cards and charged like cash advances and then just dumped it in his campaign account, which was actually his personal account. Wow. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, a former roommate of his saw him doing an interview and even pointed out that it's my scarf that he's wearing. He stole that from me. So the idea that Santos's removal is going to lead to like any kind of widespread retribution probably just isn't going to happen. I think the, collectively the two parties both kind of recognized where this was going. And he's got way, way, way too much baggage to actually maintain a meaningful political career. That was a whole lot of people looking the other way long enough until it became impossible to look the other way. That's why so many of them sh shifted on him and that last vote. I'll just openly admit my ignorance on the issue. I, I did not realize how blatant and just completely out of pocket he was as far as his behavior, not just the lead up to the election and the election, but his previous run and everything else. Uh, it is miraculous that he made it that far where in a way good magic that idea of audacity that can't be corrected with more audacity <laughs> yeah well don't worry about him folks because he's doing okay still because he decided to go on cameo yeah we literally debated on like could we get him to <laughs> Could we get him to record something for us? But I'll be honest, I don't think it's justifiable to give this man money for anything. If it was like 10 bucks, I'd give him I'd give him 10 bucks to like read the CMN intro. All right. All right. What else is there? Uh, rapid fire. Well, rapid I did see an article that was something to the effect of Israel using AI to find and target Hamas members, which is just fucking awesome. awesome. Oh, boy. Man-made monstrosities beyond my comprehension. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember if it was Buckminster Fuller or Robert Anton Wilson just talking about Bucky Fuller, but describing the the means for the longest part, and still to, to this day, really, the brightest minds and latest technology is always applied into transferring the largest amount of explosive force to kill as many people in as quick a way as possible. Yeah. And that's, yep. you know, it's, that's, that's what this is. It's taking new technology and figuring out how it can be used to kill people. Yep. Pretty much. Um, Henry Kissinger died while we were away. I see a lot of people be like, you know, sort of cheering it on and be like, Oh yeah, he's finally dead. Hip hip hooray. But it's, it's nah, that fucker got to live to be a hundred. Fuck that's, him. That's my thing. It's like, he got to live to be a hundred and never faced any consequences for the brutal, brutal things that he inflicted on other living human beings so this is a non-victory like there's nothing to be cheerful for i mean yeah rest in piss you won't be missed but like this was not a this was not a w this was a, a man who got to live to be as old as any of us can hope to be and did all that 
Yeah, got to do everything. Spent his life being a, a conniving demon monster man and got applauded for it. Yep, yep. Panera Bread has some caffeinated lemonade that killed like two people. Was it? I can kind of understand it because, you know, you see lemonade, you don't think this is going to have as much caffeine in it as a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, like drink like three three very large cups of the stuff. The tragedy of it is that at least the the first death was somebody who was fully aware that they had a heart condition, fully aware that they weren't supposed to be drinking stuff like that, either poor labeling or something like that, but they someone who was actively avoiding caffeine and ended up consuming an absurd amount of it and it, it ended in tragedy. I won't say that Panera is like an evil, heartless, soulless corporation that doesn't care that it killed people. I think that this was just... You know, like I said, maybe make people aware of what they're consuming a little better. The other one was a guy that drank like three of them and was 46 and apparently not in the best shape. That's the one. That's the guy I'm talking about. That was the guy. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, he also had some kind of mental disability. So like, oh, that's so terrible. It just it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. It's 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 tragic. It's a totally unnecessary thing. Uh, I, I guess that the if nothing else, Panera is now obligated to fucking do something about it to make people aware. Yeah. Yep. Taylor Swift got time person of the year. Uh, okay, here's a thing that we can actually relate to some occulty stuff, right? Someone in the Discord talked about the idea that these hyper celebrities are sort of the closest approximations to gods that we have now. And I am so against that. It's very much this idea of like trying to deify human beings in general and then thinking that somebody who is exceedingly popular or someone who's getting a lot of attention is the same thing as like a god or in the same or that's the the type of uh the type of adoration that these people get is similar to the adoration that you heap onto deities. I just think that that is so, so far off the mark. I don't know what you think about it, but it's not the same. It's like weird consumers culture type stuff. I think it says more about the age we live in now that somebody would reach that conclusion than it does about their status. Although I will admit that like building a cult of personality and an online presence and a branding out of a human being does lead to a weird sort of, I wouldn't call it deification, but like a parody of deification. Maybe Taylor Swift is more powerful than you. Like that's a fact. Taylor Swift. She's like super Saiyan too. You ain't even super Saiyan. You're like Krillin. Taylor Swift is like a force as much as she is a person. She has access to Taylor Swift, the big idea, I guess, this kind of construction of her. And of course, she herself is not that. She's a lady who's like 27, 28, who has had an exorbitant amount of money for the majority of her life and was always from like a wealthy-ish family from what I gather they made her Taylor Swift I can understand why you would be interested in that kind of thing and why it would like hold some sort of power in certain people's mind but to compare that to godly divinity and such like that says a lot more about what you think about divinity than their purchase in the real world maybe the fact that I disagree with it says something about what I think you know Oh yeah, I'm sure it does. It means I'm right. 
It means yeah. I'm better than you. <laughs> mean, it means no, you're but an idiot. <clears throat> it means you're stupid. That's why you need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> to get your get the right opinions. I guess it just feels a little golden calf to me. Where it's yeah, you can build up something and create a lot of fervor around it, but I don't know if that really does translate into divinity, as it were. I always tend to think of things that are div- the idol represents an ideal, you know, that sort of thing. It's something I got from one of my gurus. What would you invoke Taylor Swift for? Um, Maybe as like, if you wanted to invoke that ideal of the superstar. If you want to shake it off. I think that using Taylor Swift as a representation of some higher idea is even like a more reasonable idea. Like we were coming off the Grant Morrison special. So I'm kind of thinking about that sort of stuff still like Grant's idea. If you want to tie in Taylor Swift is somehow an expression or Taylor Swift has like grown beyond being a singular human being has become like a archetypal expression of the muses or some crap like that. And you want to invoke that. Yeah, fine. That's more reasonable than Taylor Swift is a God because we've made her into this giant marketable media production organ yeah you know yeah i guess somebody who's listening to this has a better argument for either side or something we'd love to hear it the one thing i know someone's gonna say is someone's gonna be like jesus no it's not the same it's not it's fucking not there's a flaw in the thinking of just because you attempt to deify something or because you sling adoration and love on something that makes it divine or that that makes it cross the threshold i don't think it does until it reaches a certain level of a single-mindedness this is the thing like this is what this thing represents it can represent a sort of default archetypal idea that in the human consciousness or the human operating system maybe on the hobby horse of ours and the idea of practices i suppose if someone were to develop a series of practices with taylor swift it would reveal something I'm not convinced that it would reveal anything that you would honestly consider divine. Plus, it's the thing I mentioned in passing earlier, the idea that it's also tied up with a lot of like capitalist consumer culturalism. And that's not always something you want to wrap yourself up in. And also, I guess the last thing too is that because it's attached to a living person, then it also becomes exceedingly parasocial the more you feed into it, you know? And it it becomes harder and harder to maintain as a reality because you're going to watch Taylor Swift get old along with you and probably get less and less relevant. She had a amazing year this year. She's probably not going to have as big a year next year. How are you going to feel when your God's less popular next month? I guess God's fall out in and out of fashion all the time. Not my God. My My God's God's the best God. My God's a, a real, real cool dude. It's been number yeah, one on the different. charts for years. Yeah. My God's built different. Speaking, on, speaking of parasocial, there is a, there's a new story, Ruby Rose, who I honestly can't tell you if she's supposed to be. I know she has an OnlyFans and that's about it. American rapper and songwriter. So I guess she has music, but I know she's got an OnlyFans because that's what this drama is about. It's not even drama because that would imply that something was going on. This was a marketing stunt where essentially... She posted a photo on her Twitter where she said, I ran into my biggest contributor on my OnlyFans. And it was exactly the type of guy you'd imagine taking a photo with her. And this man had given her like 
$62,000, you know, some out of pocket number. It's like over the past, however long. And it's like giving her all this money. And then it's like, he ran into her. So the implication already being that like this guy was trying to find this woman. And then it gets weirder because a few days later, it's she's releasing the DMS that this man has sent her at a certain point. And it's like, this obsessive parasocial, I'm so in love with you. Please talk to me. I want to have my life with you. I would do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. I just sent you this amount of money. Please come talk to me. You know, that sort of thing, blah, blah, blah. It's all very creepy and sad and the sort of thing of, yeah, this is what the internet age produces. And it shows like he got like a tattoo of her, this, that, and the other. And it's just very, very unsettling for everybody. Also drumming up a lot of attention, which is what it was supposed to do because it was entirely faked. Ah. And then the, what happened is that the guy who was responsible basically said, yeah, they talked to me and they said they were going to give me like, hey, can we use this photo of you with her? They talked about like kind of what the idea was. Hey, we want to frame you as like you're her biggest fan on OnlyFans, whatever. And then somehow they talked him into getting the tattoo. Apparently the tattoo was real. That should have been your sign of, nah, I don't want to be a part of this. But it basically, the internet got obsessed, started looking into this guy. Some rumor that he made like a fortune on crypto came out. And then a guy that looked similar to him appeared on an episode of True Life where it was a guy talking about his porn addiction. So they said, oh, this is the same guy. And it wasn't. When the text messages and stuff got released, he basically got out in front of it and said, yeah, this was a marketing stunt. And they didn't tell me that they were going to send that shit. And I'm not happy about this. Because they didn't tell me. I think when he suggested the tattoo thing, he threw it like, you pay me this much and I'll do it. And I don't think he even got paid for it. <laughs> I might be wrong wow. about that part. But yeah, this is a, a case of like just a crazy marketing stunt. And maybe in a way, it's that thing of like showing people what they already expect to see. The notion of a sort of overweight, bald dude in a, in yeah, a fitted cap. Yeah, I see that pining over and drooling over a very sexual woman who has an OnlyFans. We all just buy that shit hook, line, and sinker. And then it comes out that it's like, no, this was like a ploy. This was just playing on your expectations. I guess in that instance of the magic of the con man is like that you're playing on what people were already willing to believe. Yeah, you certainly were. There's probably some very cunning magicians in her marketing team, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what the fallout of this is going to be. This is just keeping her in the headlines. Yeah, we're talking about it. We don't even know who she is. Yeah, well, that. <laughs> although I guess it's telling that, like, I remember the, the concept and the story of, like, this and this happened, but I had to look up her name. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, what else we got? We have the guy in Arlington started shooting a flare gun outside of their windows and... They're so uh, neighbors. He's lost in Ar Arlington. He's trying to find his way home. No, he was in his home. He was shooting them out of his windows. Oh, <laughs> he could, yeah, he was so, the last place he looked. His dummy. name was James U. Apparently, and he was 56. And he fired a flare type gun from inside the duplex more than 30 times. I want to see this gun because all the flare guns I know. Well, are you can't now because it's been burnt to crisp. Obviously, is this a oh, flare right. type yeah. gun like a like a like a like a, a Jay Dilla type nerf beat. On it. Like, it's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this is, is just this, some, is, was it like machine? That, that's like, what was I'm it like belt fed? Uh, there's no reason pop, for pop, a flare pop, gun pop, to have pop, a, a pop, rapid pop. fire. That's not the reasons for flare guns to work. <laughs> Guys, we're never going to get through all this news if you keep talking like this. <laughs>
So you apparently had a history of mental illness and public grievances, I think is what it's saying here. He filed four lawsuits between 2018 and 2022. All of them were dismissed and some were called by judges convoluted and confused. In 2018, you filled a 163-page federal lawsuit in New York against his then-wife, younger sister, and a hospital after he said he was committed against his will. You alleged conspiracy and deprivation of his rights, among other crimes. The sprawling complaint includes biographical details, such as who was at his wedding, but also woven facts about who was president in the United States at the time. You described how his then-wife drove him to Rochester General Hospital in November 2015 against his will. If this story was going to continue, what what would Mr. Yu next bring in if he was a um, disturbed individual, we'll say? So the next step would be what... Um surveillance from the government yes you also referenced many attempts to contact the fbi he wrote that he believed the new york times reporter he saw on television was someone who had claimed to be an fbi agent and came to his house in 2017 he said the person warned him against further attempts to communicate with a u.s attorney in western new york or face harassment charges David Sundberg, the assistant director in charge of the FBI's Washington field office, said you had previously communicated with the FBI via phones, online tips, and letters over a number of years. I would characterize these communications as primarily complaints about alleged frauds he believed were being perpetrated against him. The information contained therein and the nature of those communications did not lead to opening any FBI investigations. So this was an incredibly paranoid man who was going to every institution he could think of to try to get some kind of justice for these perceived acts against him. And because there was, and I'm just going to assume that there's no evidence that anything was actually going on. And this was just a sick, sick man. Yeah. So, and this came to a head where despite the fact that multiple institutions and probably his personal contacts and his family and, his wife, I'm assuming, brought him to the hospital for a reason. Everybody kind of saw the signs, but nobody really stepped up and did anything about it. And it ends in him shooting flares off out into the street. Then for anyone who isn't aware of where the story ends, his home explodes as the police are showing up. No, actually, they were on the streets for a while. Apparently, he shot at them a couple times and then the place blew up. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, this is the blow up house. This is the house that recently exploded. This is why it exploded. Yeah. Man shooting flares. Cause the FBI refused to investigate against the things that Apple computers were doing to him. So he had to take matters into his own hands. I'm not going to be conspiratorial on this at all, but 30 rounds from a flare gun in succession and an explosion that big. Hmm. It's interesting. Well, he didn't like shoot them all at once. It wasn't like, it wasn't like Contra or anything. He shot at the police multiple times while they were there though. So. Yeah. Um, and then I think to this point, we still don't know what the explosion was actually. We're not sure about that at all. I saw one thing saying that the police apparently cut the gas, but when they were there, did he just like leave the pilot light on? What the uh, was he attempting to fill his home with gas and then it was like just too much? Would that 
in the interest of like the conspiratorial and the the fringe, I mean, this is a real thing that happens to a lot of people when they start off with best intentions of looking around and trying to figure out certain things. And then you start getting very paranoid. It can end very badly. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't you don't run to conspiracies. You walk to them step by step. All of a sudden you're in the middle of it and you're like, oh, shit. You don't have to have like an ailment or a mental anything to ride the train one day you're reading about the federal reserve next thing you know you're putting tinfoil on your walls because the illuminati commercial got to your brain again it's a sad time this could have been a case of this man just had underlying issues for a while and nobody stepped up yeah well i mean apparently he was committed at one point so it might just be that they couldn't reach him not sometimes everyone does their best and it still doesn't work out yeah that's sad that's very sad Let's move on to something that's not sad. Matthew Perry died of acute effects of ketamine, autopsy report says. Oh no, this is, this is sadder. I'm not sure if we talked about this previously. The Memphis Shelby County School Board had an issue because there was a after-school Satanist club. Oh yeah, brother. Oh! Brother. They were like, nah, I don't like that. That's not cool. Because, you know, it's Memphis and this is Bible Belt shit. They're like, no, 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 you can't have that. But then it turned into a lawsuit and everything else. And they lost. The Christians were like, what do you mean they're allowed to have it? But that's what it came down to. It finally came to a head and they they had to announce a couple days ago that they will uphold it. So I guess uh, you can have a Satanist club in your school now. What would that even be? I mean, we've talked about Satanism on previous episodes. It's probably a lot no. of edgy bullshit. That's what I'm getting at. But like, what would you be able to do in a high school Satanist club? Listen to Slayer? No, these are kids nowadays. I don't know what the fuck. What do edgy Satanist kids listen to now? Um, Coco Melon. Well, hey, in the spirit of Satanism that's taking over the country, the principles they had or whatever... That most of those were all right. They were pretty good. They seem like they mean well, but they're just like any other fucking secular um, humanist NGO type thing. They're all the fucking same. But speaking of them, because they were also in the headlines recently for uh, they got a uh, a Baphomet put up in the Iowa State Capitol. The ugly thing, honestly, like it had a silver head and stuff. It was weird. I didn't like it. I wasn't a fan. I wasn't the only person that wasn't a fan because apparently Michael Cassidy, who was a, uh, what's it called when you, when you run for office, what's it called when you run for office and you don't, you don't win a loser. Yeah. He's a loser. He's a fucking loser. He's a fucking loser. <laughs> so this guy, Michael Cassidy, he tried to run for Congress in Mississippi. So not even in Iowa, he went to Iowa he cut the thing's head off. He broke it beyond repair. How did he do it? Like what? Did he bring I guess like you can just all with him or I don't know, man. He, uh, he, but he, he, he wrecked it. It's gone. They fucked that shit up. Ooh, he got arrested. It is ugly. I'm looking at it. Yeah. It's a real ugly statue. It's like you a fucking to... disco ball. Yeah. If you can put up a Baphomet, like put up a Baphomet, put up a proper one, get the titties and the solve coagula on arms and shit. Do something cool. Do something that's like worth people getting mad about. That's he just like a bad like, art piece. He definitely looks like the type of individual that I don't want wielding any sort of political power. So I'm glad he lost and I throw the book at him. Former congressional candidate for Mississippi charged with vandalizing the Satanic Temple of Iowa's display depicting the pagan idol Baphomet at the Iowa State Capitol 
says he saw this blasphemous statue and was outraged. My conscience is held captive to the word of God, not to bureaucratic decree. Chasing clout so bad is what he's saying. I didn't make it into Congress, but maybe if I get myself relevant, I can get me a Fox News job. Or maybe he can parlay parlay this into appealing to the extreme Christian conservative demographic because he's like, yeah, I'm going to go around and break the demon statues. He's going to run again is what's going to happen. That's what he's going to do. He got arrested and charged with like some fourth degree mischief bullshit. One of those things that's not even really a fucking crime. He should get charged with destruction of government property, shouldn't he? I don't think it's government property. No, but he got charged with a misdemeanor. So they're not charging him with shit. If it's a display from the temple of Satan, it's not the government's property. Yeah, probably not. But if it wasn't the state capitol building, you feel like it would have something, right? Yeah, if you go into a government building and start breaking their shit, this guy's a fucking asshole. On his website for when he was running from Congress, he has this whole section that says law and order, and it talks about, like, this is my stance on criminals. He wants to lock up more people, increase incarceration rates or whatever like that. Like, literally, that's what it says here. He says, I'd prefer excessive rate of incarceration to excessive rate of crime. But here's the big one. Mandatory minimums for mob destruction of statues, infrastructure, and houses of worship. Automatic 10 years in jail, plus the cost of repair. They're brain-rotted hypocrites where it's like, yeah, I want to lock up the people that break the law that I don't like, but it's okay for me to do it because God told me to. The problem is, is that you, you point out that they're hypocrites and they don't care. It's yeah and so what? When you have a genuine religious belief that you are following the law of the one true God of the world, it doesn't matter when you do bad things because unless you're able to admit to yourself that it's a bad thing, which you can't, the only time you do that is when it's like, I, I, I yelled at the kids, but those 300 people that I had murdered those were sinners god told me what to do it just happens to be that god told me to do all the things that i wanted to do anyway that's because i'm such a good christian me and god want to do the same things yep anybody listening to this show you don't need me to tell you this but these are people that don't need political power these are people who need to be disincentivized to do anything politically and the need to know that this shit isn't going to fly because that's the only way you will solve this problem all of these fuckers need to be like people that are like this when they run for office they need to get stomped into the ground you can't let these people take root because there's a lot of places in this country where they have taken root and you can watch these states nose diving into the ground part of it is the genuine problem of again in the in places like new york california like this shit don't happen but the urbanite centers of power don't have to worry about like the evangelical creep because it's pretty much dead in those places. In fact, overall in America, like religious affiliation and belief is down. It's just that in certain areas, it has come back in vogue in reaction to the increasing drop down of religious belief and secularizing of culture. But then the problem is a lot of the people that aren't particularly extreme in their religious views don't do anything about these folks. They just let it fly and then it's, oh, fuck, this guy got elected. The fact is, is that if we're talking big picture, these people are dangerous and they don't need to be allowed to take hold. Yeah, well, don't worry. He, he lost last time. We're going to forget about this shit because the satanic temple does this thing like 
every other fucking week. So it's just going to get lost in the headlines of satanic temple trolling. Do you think that we could maybe get like a crowdfunding thing going to like commission a better statue? <laughs> like a less shitty Baphomet statue that they can put back up there? Well, we'll one put out a press release where we're net. like, I, I applaud Michael Cassidy for destroying, for destroying that this ugly fucking piece of shit. <laughs> one, this one is made, a, made out of a black stone only found at the, the ocean floor. <laughs> we can at least that just get the one from... strange delights. <laughs> it has red jewel eyes that were there when we found it. What else we got? We need a parrot headline, don't we? Because all of these have been very ridiculous, but also pretty sad. So what can a we parrot find? headline? What do you mean? See, this is how you know that Gary, who is the person ostensibly running the show and doing the edits of the episodes, all that good stuff has never listened to the fucking show. Otherwise, he'd know what a parrot headline is. You guys have a podcast? You ever have a show? What are you talking about? I have a good one to end on. <laughs> Turkish MP says Israel won't escape wrath of Allah, then suffers heart attack. <laughs> God, when I saw that, I literally turned to my beloved and I looked at her and said, see, this is why I don't like get mad and yell and raise my voice and get my blood pressure all up. Because what's going to happen is one day I'm going to be so mad doing that sort of stuff. I'm going to have a heart attack and it's going to look like God himself was disagreeing with me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, is that what you think, Kennedy? Hmm. No, I don't think grapes do should think be now? in season right now. <laughs> it makes me think of the George Carlin bit about the two-minute warning before you die. Oh, yeah. You no, know, do a big speech about something you're passionate about. Go really get into it. And then right at the end, say, and if everything I've said isn't true, may God strike me dead. And then... <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, That's pretty fucking funny, though. It, did he die? He fucking died. He died. He fucking died. He's in the that fear of motherfucker Allah. legitimately said that, that Israel will not escape the wrath of Allah and then and neither fucking will he. die. Neither will he. None of the us Lord apparently. The Lord saith, vengeance is mine and I will repay. I think that's enough news. Who boy. All right, next segment. I got a surprise for everybody. Our uh, longtime listeners will know and recall a certain book written by a uh, draconian society or something to that effect. You call it's that where... a book? It was like six pages. <laughs> a pamphlet. It wasn't even spelled right, yeah. <laughs> a, a shitty PDF that spontaneously emerged out of the code. That we still can't find anything on. Yeah, no idea where they came from. We are, of yeah. course, referring to the Society of the Disciples of the Dragon. Yep. Where our lovely term dragon-pilled comes from. Yep, yep. Yep. Be dragon-pilled as fuck. Don't think at all. Listen to the dragon. And that is entirely what the, the, the gist of this uh, document is, is that your brain is bad, and the thinking thinking, thinking, rationalizing, philosophizing, and everything else that your brain does is really stupid, and you shouldn't do that. And if you don't do that, you will be able to make contact with the extraterrestrial intelligence that is the dragon. 
and the dragon will tell you what to do. And remember, if you're an occultist, it is a great idea to listen to a external intelligence that just starts telling you stuff. Nothing ever goes wrong there. Especially because they gave us the lovely description that it will feel like you're enslaving yourself. It will <laughs> feel like your entire notion of freedom is being restricted, but that's because your notion of freedom is wrong. Because we needed something for this episode, because let's just you know, look behind the curtain and not at Gary this time. Huh? This episode was not what we planned on it being at all. We were going to have another guest on and do some stuff. And the timing of it was just all wrong. This whole month went weird, but I needed to find something. So I went looking for another bit from the draconian methodology. And while I didn't find anything from the society of the disciples of the dragon, I found somebody I think might be just as interesting. I'm going to take you along the journey that I had. I found a book called The Sevenfold Mystery by Michael Kelly. The first thing that you see after opening the book and going past the cover is the Apophis Club Draconian Magic Series. And it's got a list of books like Apophis and uh, Igish Jumler, Book of Dragon Runes, Dragon Scales, Draconian Consciousness, Words of Power, just a bunch of random fucking magic-y sounding titles. But they're all a part of this apparently called the Apophis Club. I will say right away, my first thought when I saw that, I thought the Karanzan Club. Oh, oh, but the Karanzan Club is kind of cool. It feels like somebody's going like, oh, I like that name. Oh, right, It'll be right. the Apophis Club, yeah. Apophis, I mean, the Apophis Club, it sounds pretty cool. It sounds, it's way catchier than the Society for the Disciples of the Dragon. I still got to give them some fucking a little bit of a leash because they they did say that English was not their first language. So maybe it's some of the writing in that. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it sounds cooler in the original tongue, I guess. Maybe it, it was just something else entirely. Maybe it was like just society draconis or some shit. And then it translated it with a bunch of ofs. Oh, uh, right. Right. But a pop Either club, that sounds pretty baller. Um, afterwards, we get a publication of the Apophis Club and for the folk of the Apophis Academy and the Draconian Circle. With cordial thanks and respect to the shade of Dr. John D. This book is especially dedicated to Manon and Shigar, who have translated so many of the Apophis Club's titles into Spanish. And it gives the copyright. By the way, this thing is formatted so fucking terribly, I can't even begin to describe to you like what is going on. It's like a large print book of a PDF, but like things aren't consistent sizes. Nothing's really formatted consistently either. Punctuation is kind of here and there. It's it's weird. This is a weird thing. I found this because it's a draconian. And the reason for that was this is essentially a book explaining how to do like this guy's version of Enochian magic. Okay, but, Shade of John D. That makes sense. Right, yeah. Most of the book is actually explaining the history and even some stuff about Crowley doing it, yada, yada, modern innovators. But then you get to the part that's just a dr draconian Enochian magic. And it was a bit confusing. It's not confusing because it's hard. It's confusing because it's, it's like... poorly written. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> He basically goes, yeah, we're, we're going to simplify doing the magic thing because this is really dumb. You just, you just simplify it. He talks about the, the watchtower fucking squares and stuff and how it's a very complicated and tedious method for how to paint all the different colors on there. So you just make them all one color. Oh, oh, this circles back to the opening discussion then, doesn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it turns yeah, out grim, it does. Simplification of the grimoires. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, well, that's very, that's tedious. Uh, let's just, yeah. You know what? I'll just write it on this Burger King coupon and then throw it over <laughs> in the corner. There, that's your square. Draconian. Listen to this, in fact, because I found the part. This was the part that made me go from, okay, this is someone trying to give you a weird in- intro to Enochian with a lighter system to full blown. This is. Something worth talking about on the show. The watchtowers should be colored according to their element. The Apophis Club system is simplified here, though takes its lead from the Golden Dawn one. Of course, we will not be dealing with their system of pyramid squares, which results in a ludicrously complicated way of determining the colors. The colors associated to the elements in the Apophis Club usage differ slightly from that of the Golden Dawn. Our color scheme is as follows, to reflect our aesthetics. Fire is red, air is yellow, water is blue, earth is dark green, and spirit slash consciousness is black. The Golden Dawn attribute black to earth and white to spirit, but we agree with Crowley's assertion that the earth is a green and verdant element. We also assert that the correct color for consciousness is the black, being the quality of the Lord of Darkness. From there, I've learned the Apophis Club seems to be like an actual, if not quite an initiatory order, definitely like a magic click order that I believe this guy, this Michael Kelly who wrote the book, is running. Are so, they still around? Yes. Yes, they are. Fuck you, Apophis Club. Hang on. We're, we're getting there. More awesome things to come from here because we have stuff like Michael Kelly is a mystery entertainer based on the Isle of Man performance of bizarre magic seance evenings tarot and he spelled tarot without the last T so like tarot he's also a writer and he seems to write mostly like fantasy but also stuff like a psychic detective (laughs) okay Sure. He put out something called The Legend of Aleister Crowley, which is a bizarre magic show celebrating Crowley's life and legacy. He also seems to be selling lectures and, of course, all of these Apophis Society books. This guy is doing a lot, but nothing beat what I found here in one of his posts for the Apophis Club. Private tuition. I have frequently in the past received requests for the private tuition in magic. I have generally fielded such inquiries by pointing people in the direction of my Patreon where they can access my most up-to-date material and, depending on their patronage tier, have monthly private calls with me. So, just letting you know already, he's got a Patreon that lets you get not only his books, like his novels that he seems to be writing, but he also will set up like a Skype call with you once a month and help train you in magic. I now finally find myself in a position where I can accept a very limited number of private students. There will be a maximum of seven places available, and the first is already filled. Such tuition will not be for everyone. After all, it can't be with only seven places available. Ha ha. It will be very intensive with a weekly teaching session over Zoom and much work to do and practice at home. During every meeting, we would discuss experience with what had been studied so far and and introduce something new. 
The tuition will be tailored to each individual. It will not be one size fits all, but it will be comprehensive in all cases. My aim is to take each student at least to fourth head level and the opening of the eye in the void and perhaps beyond if they wish to take the association further. I estimate this process taking a minimum of a year in most cases. So awesome. Already we have something else we talked about in the discord earlier this week. This kind of like levels of magic. He's going to take you to level 12. He's going to make you. Yeah, he's going to take you to the 12th level. And he's going to you're going to get the Goku Fortnite skin. <laughs> All you got to do is give him 50 V bucks. <laughs> oh, oh, you think it, that's it? Well, that's after you've paid for the Patreon. Now that I've shown you that he's doing this, I want to go to the first book of the Apophis Club so we can see what this guy is actually about. And what, I, what I'm going to say here is keep in mind that he was doing this this private tutoring of seven students. And this was from this year. This was only a couple months ago. So he did this. He offered this to people and he's doing it. I want you to look at the information we've gotten from this book that we're going to read from the little bits that we're going to dig through here and tell me how much at the end of this, how much do you think you would pay to have this guy tutor you magically? And then tell me how much you think he's asking people to pay. Sound good? All right, sure. All right. Yeah. I can tell you what my number is already. <laughs> Zero, I assume. Mm. Mm, you're smart. You're you're 12th <laughs> level. <laughs> you got the fourth head knowledge, bro. <laughs> I got the forehead knowledge. <laughs> you, you one day get to five head knowledge. As your hairline continues to fall back. Oh, God. All right. So this is Apophis by Michael Kelly. This is the first book of this whole series. Dedication for Ipsissimus James Lewis. A remanifestation. That's already good. You know, you got like a good magic book when Mwah. the first thing that someone pops up with is like talking about a big fake magic title. Pretty dope. All right. Pretty, pretty powerful. Here's the introduction. Say. Draconian magic is unequivocally a school of the left-hand path. That is to say it is a school which teaches the immortalization and deification of the individual psyche, as opposed to the right-hand path, which seeks to submerge that psyche within a sense of universal oneness. Draconian magic is in its very essence terrifying, alienating, and antinomian. But for the successful few, it is ultimately liberating, illuminating, and joyous. It is definitely not for the faint of heart or dilettant. Casual experimentation will prove worthless as the act of tearing oneself from the womb of the cosmos is an exercise of will and heroism, qualities gained only through intense struggles. This may sound very off-putting, but so it should. Dragons in Western lore are creatures of terror and death. The fearful archetypes resonate with those from other cultural roots, such as Tiamat, the Serpent of Eden, and especially the Egyptian Apep, the primordial Serpent of Chaos. This book takes the symbolism of the seven-headed dragon of antiquity and instructs the reader how to awaken each of these heads within his own psyche until he truly becomes a magical dragon, a god in essence. <laughs> this is cornball as shit, okay? Whatever, like, what? Yeah, 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 left hand. Yeah, the oh, left hand path, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Individ 
the deify the you individual. Don't wanna, no, 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 no. This is better than the last one, though, because the last one told you that you were going to serve like the cosmic dragon. Now you're this gonna one's be saying the you're going to be the dragon. Uh, I can be my own dragon. You do notice a trend here. People that are into dragons and magic tend to be super fucking edgy and dumb. <laughs> Yeah, this is, it's every, magic, dragons are terrifying and everything else. Certain people, I guess, are inoculated to this sort of thing where sure a lot of the things that I think are cool seem kitschy and lame to other folks. But like, when you're talking about dragons, my brain just shuts off. Like this sound, this sounds cornball as fuck. I just realized that's why it's seven students, by the way. It's because it's one for each head. <laughs> he just picked a number. He just picked that. He's like, seven's the number. All right. Also, you notice he said like the ancient seven-headed dragon. Was that a thing? I'm pretty sure it's just an apocalypse thing. I don't think there's I, like an ancient seven-headed dragon thing. I mean, I might be wrong on that one. I'm free to say that I'm wrong on that one. I'm not going to cry about it. But like, I feel like that's like revelation shit. As far as I can tell, it is. There's a seven-headed serpent in Sumerian lore. Oh, okay. All right. All right. But that, okay. it's described as a serpent, not a dragon. Well, I mean, Apep is a fucking serpent, too. Dragons and serpents are pretty interchangeable, especially, like, the older you get, the further back you get. That's why Satan's, like, a dragon and a serpent, like a snake. You know what I mean? They're mm -hmm. kind of the same thing. So I'm not going to argue on that one. So, okay, I'll give it to him. The only thing I'm seeing about it is that it, it gets killed by uh, Ninruta. It's called Naruto. Uh, <laughs> I read that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Naruto kills the but kills the hey, serpent. we're now we're getting somewhere because further down talks about the curriculum and it's like if you're an experienced magician, you might skip around a little bit to suit your experience. But if you're a truly experienced magician, you won't because you'll know there's always something to learn. Here's the part that we're, we're going to get the origin story of Mr. Michael. The teachings codified in this book are derived from my experience as past grandmaster of the Temple of Sets order a leviathan oh and were further developed in the later independent order of apep they have been tested by many strong initiates over many years and are of proven efficacy so this guy came from the temple of set yeah yeah and we all know about the temple of set don't we yeah okay i guess uh for I, I, our <laughs> listeners, let's just give them the quick overview so way back when there was a little thing called the church of satan and the Church of Satan, unlike the Satanic Temple we've been talking about, was full of Hollywood hedonists, basically. A guy named Anton LaVey, who is an interesting character in his own right, um, made this thing, and he was like, I am a Satanist. And he wrote a whole book telling people to be Satanist, and people really responded to it at the time. It was all cool. But here's the thing. Anton LaVey did not really believe in magic, or rather, his beliefs in magic were very different than what a lot of other people in the occult side of things were well as far as i can tell he's he, like magic was like psychodrama to him yeah that's yeah as far as i can see I, that's not the important part i'm sorry yeah then the important part is that there was a big falling out between him and this guy named michael aquino who is like a whole other can of worms michael aquino he was a military guy that like focused on like psyops and shit. And he's a fascinating character. But anyway, a bunch of the people left the church of Satan. Cause they're like, this is just dumb LARPy stuff. And we want to go do real magic. Like we're Aleister Crowley or something, which is what they were totally trying to do. That's what they wanted. And yeah. they went and did the temple of set, which is basically just edgier, more magic -y version of 
I guess the stuff the AA people were doing at the time. The Temple of Set is probably the closest you'll get to, you know, the satanic panic, like scary Satanism of like where people were talking about, oh man, they're doing like crazy debauchery and stuff like that. The Temple of Set is probably closer to that than you're really going to find. Outside of the occasional like group of real crazies doing some stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, if we're just talking about like nutter butters who snap and like kill people, that's different. But the Temple of Set took this shit very seriously and they were... Definitely worshiping the Dark Lord. You know, and that was exemplified by Set, which there's a lot with that, especially like the whole Set Horus thing. Yeah. Spoilers, like Michael Aquino thinks that he like started the new Aeon of Set. And yeah, it's everybody thinks they started the new Aeon. Everybody. Temple of Set stuff. The Setian people are all about like self-deification and becoming a god. Very cool. Whatever. Um. Point is, this guy they're a bunch of edgy goobers. Yeah, they're a bunch of edgy goobers. That's what most of them are. I'm sure there's some of them that do some cool shit, buddy. I'm sure there's some of them that are super, super cool people that you like to have a beer with, and they're probably way better at magic than anybody that's listening to this show and all this stuff. Whatever, you're an edgy fucking goober. Fuck off. <laughs> left hand path. I got. I'll tell you what you can do with the left hand, buddy. <laughs> We'll come back to this where I'll explain my beef with what people talk about right hand, left hand. <laughs> but we'll get through why this guy is a fucking dork. I don't know if he's still in it or not. Too no, clearly not. Dr- clearly he left because they weren't giving him enough attention and importance. <laughs> because he had to go start the Order of Apep or whatever. He, he joined the Order of Apep afterwards. And he's like, now I got to do the Apophis Club. The Apostrophe right, yeah. Club. Because it's mine. <laughs> Oh, man. So, you want to hear what he actually has to say about magic? Sure. Draconian magic is, by definition, magic fueled by the symbolism and energies of dragons. Although today, dragons tend to be relegated to fantasy novels, usually trilogies, of course, or fantasy cinema, their mythological roots are deep and dark. What did that have to do with anything? Motherfucker literally just dropping in like a, they're usually trilogies. I know. I write lots of fantasy novels. (laughs) He just didn't like Aragon. (laughs) I suspect most people have a fascination with dragons today, have acquired it through fantasy rather than myth. This is not always a bad thing. Tolkien's smog stands upon firm and recognizable mythological roots, for instance, and the serpents who slither through Robert Howard's Conan stories are truly bearers of the helm of awe. But many of the dragons of popular fantasy are far removed from the draconian spirit, becoming just another monster in a fits fictional menagerie this motherfucker literally just talking about dragon novels look you guys don't appreciate dragons the way you should all right in my course i will show you how to properly write a dragon character most dragons in fiction only got one head that's bullshit (laughs) seven heads how to train your dragon i'm fucking livid (laughs) you don't train the dragon the dragon trains you <laughs> Draconian lore and practice are rarely found in any of the published books on magic. There are a few notable exceptions, of course. Kenneth Grant's Typhonian trilogies are packed full of references to the Draconian current and should be sought out and avidly devoured by all students of this present curriculum. Don Webb's growing corpus of Setian magical books, commencing with The Seven Faces of Darkness, are likewise indispensable for both theoretical and practical purposes. A selected annotated reading list is included in the back of this book. 
Hold yeah, on, seven, seven faces. faces. Uh, so now you're like ripping off the Setian guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like seven faces. Hmm, seven heads. Hmm, I got seven an idea. dragons. <laughs> Kenneth Grant's mentions of the draconian current, and I like a lot of what Kenneth Grant does. I acknowledge that he, I put him in the same category as Birdio, as there's some absolute wackadoo shit in there, but there's useful stuff and they're fun reads because of how fucking wild they are. So that even when you don't agree with them, you're like, man, it's thought provoking at least. It's like, whoa, what? This guy is way out there. But also at the same time, Kenneth Grant was a homophobe. (laughs) (laughs) He thought sex in the butt, that's icky. (laughs) Like no one's telling you to do it. Well, maybe Crowley was. But always certain things about different authors that even if they had good ideas, they probably had some glaring flaws. I guess my the point is I was going to recommend anybody who was talking about the draconian current. It would be Grant or Bobby Hemet <laughs> or Bobby Hemet. And they both have the same problem is like weird bigoted opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but why dragons? Because of their mythology and enduring imagery, certainly, but also because of their biological inheritance. Man is the inheritor of the dragon's wealth and power, as amply demonstrated in the myth of Sigurd and Fafner. The human brainstem is reptilian in origin, and the dragon thus signifies not consciousness itself, but the monstrous primeval potential which birthed consciousness, whose power still lies coiled deep within. Mythologically, the world was formed from the body of the primordial dragon Tiamat and human beings sprang from the droplets of the demonic blood shed in that conflict of proto-gods. Many dragon myths conceal great initiatory secrets. Okay, I'm kind of with that. There's other myths that don't involve a dragon making the world. The reptilian brainstem thing, I think that idea has been discredited a little bit. The idea that like the human brain is just like three different types of brain layered on top of each other. I think that's kind of been a discredited idea. Don't quote me on that. But if the notion is the reptilian birth, like that birth consciousness, I think that there were other things with brains before reptiles. I mean, I guess like fish, you got a fish brain. Why don't you worship a fish god? Then you go even further if we're talking about like the biological inheritance. It's like, I guess you, you could go all the way back to like the cellular God, you know, the divinity of the protozoa. If we're talking about like the first thing that birthed life or whatever, the idea of ha- getting hung up on the dragon. I mean, it seems like it's a point of personal preference. It's cool. I like minotaurs. <laughs> I think minotaurs are really cool. I don't think I need to make like the cult of the minotaur. I think some people in Crete probably did that already. It probably didn't end well. They're dead. <laughs> go on. I just had a couple thoughts there about like the why dragons. I I thought dragons were really cool. Just say that. Yeah, that's exactly. Just say I like dragons. Just say you like dragons, homie. He goes through from there, like literally his entire backstory of how he came to here. And it's very (laughs) fucking boring. It all started when a kid in school said, hey, Mikey. Do you like dragons? Yeah. It's like, well, how about I'm dragging these nuts across your face? And I said, no. <laughs> and from and that I vowed from on, that day, <laughs> the forces of darkness would prevent the forces this from happening of darkness again. and evil. <laughs> and that's oh, my man. other hang up is whenever people start talking, it's like the dark path. It's like, gee, chill the fuck out. Relax. Bro, if you saw a picture of this guy, you'd be like, the dark forces are not fucking with you, dude. You got to be like way better looking than this. He looks like Palpatine, be like a, right? The dark you, you side of the forest <laughs> mangled you him. You can't be like a frumpy English dude and be like. I don't know, man. You look at a frumpy English dude and you're like, yeah, that guy looks pretty fucking evil. Oh, my God. Okay. 
All right. He does say, I finally resigned from the Temple of Set, which should not be interpreted as any kind of criticism against the fine initiatory school, as I knew that I needed to forge something new as a vehicle for my teachings, something fully harmonious with, yet distinct from, the temple in which I had earned my mastery. Okay, okay. Yeah. So he, he does say, like, I didn't get away from these guys because I had a problem with them. I just wanted to do my own thing. Fair enough. I. I just thought that dragons were cooler than set. Nobody, I guess that's what it is. Is not everybody else thought dragons were as cool. So I just wanted to do my dragon thing. Yep. An unholy trinity. Draconian magic is not pantheon specific, and the initiates of the Order of Apep have worked extremely effective magic with the traditions of the Egyptians, the Teutons, and the Enochian deities, among others. The actual faces and identities of the god forms invoked are thus largely dependent upon the affinity, aesthetic, and cultural-slash-genetic imprint of the individual practitioner. Oh. Okay, maybe I was wrong. So now we're getting into genetics. Like, I mean, maybe he just said cultural not, slash genetic imprint. Okay, so I'm not. I'm not might, gonna, he might not be going off the rails on anything. I, I don't want to put words in this mouth or call this guy something that he's not. All right, I don't want to say, but it's also like, hmm, that does raise an eyebrow. I think there's plenty of people that aren't bigoted in the magic community that still put stock in like genetic memory and ancestry type yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's. You're right. I personally that's, you're don't, right. but I do think that there are people that think that. You're right. That's fair. That's fair. With Americans specifically, where we're all so much of us are mutts, where we've just got yeah. loads and loads. I mean, I know I am. I'm. I'm. I'm all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I so got I, loads I, and loads. I've been given loads and loads of my genetic material, <laughs> putting my genetic imprint out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. But like, I wouldn't be able to point to a specific like, oh yeah, I come from these folks. I point so, to my mama and be like, I come from that. I come from that folk. Yeah. Those are my folks over there. Those are my folks over there. Yeah. Uh, in all cases, however, it will be found that three major archetypes or forms predominate within the draconian initiatory process, and none of these may be safely excluded from the work. Indeed, there will be no work at all. Initiate can forge a vital personal link with each of these divine beings, learning to recognize their promptings without self-delusion and act decisively upon the guidance received. The first of these three forms is the Lord of Darkness, the God of Consciousness. The second form is the Scarlet Woman, the goddess of desire. The third form is the serpent, the force of the remanifestation. Each of these is discussed in some detail below. Through the initiate's interaction with these deities, a new personal god will ultimately arise if all is well done. This is the personal daemon, also called the holy guardian angel by other nomenclatures, which will be discussed later in this book in its proper place. Whoa! The lame. So repurpose the lame. Uh, like worse, Rewor the darkness, reworsened the reworsener. Re <laughs> oh, boy. oh, one of them is literally the Scarlet Woman. So it's like, yeah, that's Babylon. The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Lord of Darkness is first and foremost God of Consciousness. Maybe strange that Consciousness is blah blah blah. It's the Devil, Biblical Eden, Dreaded Set. Uh, this all seems very boring. The Lord of Darkness, the giver of the gift of self, is thus the primary deity of the left-hand path, since the purpose of that path is the deification of the self itself. Yeah, it's just giving you, like, the Dark Lord is the bad god. He's the devil. He's the bad guy. He brings he's about the, the differentiation of consciousness and the ego. He's, yeah, he's the Lucifer yeah. Lightbringer. 
It's the black flame of consciousness thing where it's the ability to stand apart that makes humanity different. And that's the entire point is that you have to struggle and travel with that individuation, but not not that individuation. <laughs> and you have yeah. to deify. Now, here's my problem because I'll get into it right now. All this really seems to me, and this is just what I've seen with people. I'm not saying if you follow the left-hand path, you're like this or anything like that. But very often what it leads to are people who have a megalomaniacal view of themselves. And then when they come against something that they cannot overcome through cunning or guile or strength, then the whole thing collapses in on itself because that's what the ego does. If you spend all this time building up this yourself as some sort of grand divine force, you are inevitably going to come up against something that you can't fucking beat. That's just the way it works is that you are not an omnipotent being on this planet. I don't care how much spooky woo-woo you do. You're not. And if you start down that road of attempting to be like, yeah, I am the omnipotent, all-powerful creator of my reality or whatever, or this attempt to become a living God type shit, you're going to feel really stupid when you have a parking ticket that you can't get out of. (laughs) There's just no two ways about it. I don't think that like Christian mysticism and Buddhism are the doing the same thing. And to try to lump them all in on like the right-hand path is wrong. That's wrong-headed thinking. It's wrong view, and you're going to get a bad reincarnation. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get a bad re-manifestation. Yeah, that's just the rub. If you live in a world where where everything is about this uh, personal quest for power, granted, in a way, there's something really noble about that, of like constantly striving to get better, constantly trying to elevate yourself to something greater. That's good, but at the same time, I hate to break it to you, you're human. You're not going to be able to live in a world where everything is going to bend to your will. And if it's not, then where does that leave you as far as this elevation to godhood? And maybe I'm missing the mark, but I'm only going by what I see as far as a lot. of. And then the other thing, too, is that mostly a lot of it does come across as very cornball, edgy for the sake of it type shit. And then I, I also think that on a maybe on another level, too, this notion of liberation through uh, antinomialism. Like, there's definitely something to be said about breaking with the things that you were constantly told and the things that you hold as, uh, or you were told to hold as sacred and everything else. And, you know, just breaking with all of that accepted or uh, prescribed behavior. But I think it can also just lead to some very edgy nonsense. And then on another level, a lot of people that purport to live like that or or think in those terms are just lying to themselves because they're not you know you're 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 going to your job at the dairy queen and you know you're making them chicken fingers and that's okay that's fine you don't need to hold it up like you're you're uh (laughs) that you're uh a thrall of the dark lord yeah this is 2009 you know, if this was like 1990, I might give it a little more of a pass because I feel like it would be more like, well, I mean, it was 1990. This is an older dude writing this. He's he's just trying so hard to seem cool. Let's see what else we got because that Trinity is really lame. There's the, the bad guy set. 
And then there's the sexy lady, the scarlet woman. And, and then, then there's, there's the, the dragon. Skin. Yeah. Set is the self and dragon is the chaos. And scarlet lady is sexy time. I guess. like, you know, sexy. It's, la- it's sexy lady. It, bro, it's sexy lady. Don't you want sexy lady? Yeah. Remember the, the divine feminine exists as a sexual object for your, for your snake. That's a very uncharitable take. I understand. And that's something you could equally apply to, to Crowley, but <laughs> That's yeah, where my but, head went. Yeah, it just feels. Oh, it's weird. sexy lady, magic oh, sexy lady. Man. Uh, do you want to hear about the seven heads of the dragon? All right, what's the first one? That's got like an acid breath, and then the the one after that has like an ice breath. He did the Nokian stuff, and he asked the great serpent a bunch of questions. I don't know who the great serpent is. I guess the fucking god. That's the that's the seven head guy. Yeah, right? yeah. Let's see. He's just talking about like how he did stuff. Then I did the magic to do this, and I did the magic to do this. Is he and describing the operations? No, he's just saying he's like oh, doing shit. Oh, well, that's shit. stupid. Like I said, yeah. he said he did a Nokian to ask some questions. It's not super complicated shit. The symbolism of the dragon. Okay, all right, hang on. The curriculum. He basically, he sets up the seven heads of the dragon as a curriculum based off some seven-headed dragon symbolism stuff. So that's what he meant by he's going to get you to like fourth head level yeah. consciousness got it got it yeah so what are the so these are essentially like grades yeah. or at, or levels of attainment yeah let's see of a dragon and the, but and they are literally like the first head is a scorpion the second one is a whirling cross the third one is a leopard the fourth one is a serpent the fifth one is a raging lion the sixth one is a rebellious giant and the seventh one is typhon angel of the fatal wind which sounds like a fucking Devil May Cry boss. It sounds like a Yu-Gi-Oh card. Oh, God, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So why are none of the heads dragons? I, I, I don't know. All those things you said are not dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe Serpent is a dragon, but no, that's a serpent. an angel. <laughs> what was oh the first God. one again? A scorpion. That's that's very weird. Is it like a scorpion head? Is it a scorpion tail? Is his head a whole ass scorpion? Like it's a dragon neck and then it's a scorpion <laughs> on top? Because that's fucking weird. Why is it like it's got legs coming off? Like it's supposed to be walking around, but it's on a dragon head. What was the other one? A whirling cross? Yeah, or a thunderbolt apparently. That's weird. That's like a helicopter type thing. Like this, like it's just spinning like a blade. And like, what was the one after that? Uh, hyena. Okay, again, hyena head or whole hyena? Are these like whole critters on the end of a dragon neck? I I don't know, man. I'm gonna make a drawing of this. <laughs> I'll probably make like a collage of like this is so, what it looks like. It seems to be that the scorpion is a carnal creature. Each one of these represents a level of consciousness. Basically, it has something to do with like. So it's like eight circuits. <laughs> Yeah. But it's seven dragons? It's just edgy. It's, it's seven dragons, but it's edgy. What's the fourth level? Because that's the one he said he'll be able to get you to in a year. That's what we'll try. The serpent. The central head is that of a serpent. Okay. So maybe that's the idea. Is that it? Because he said the central head. It's okay. also the, like the forms of initiation that travel up the seven spheres. Yeah, like the seven classical planets. So yeah. here, let's read the fourth head section. The central head is that of a serpent. Its centrality is the emphasis, since it is that head which truly displays the nature of Apep. Also, because in the planetary scheme of things, this head is represented by the sun in the center of life. 
Oh, it's source of the system. Got it. Yeah, okay. exactly. It is for this reason that the order seal of the eye of Leviathan should be allotted to this head. I don't know what that means. The eye is raised in the center of the solar system and watches the cold detachment of all else revolves around it. But never forget that Apep swallows the sun, and thus this eye is only a reflection of the greater eye, which is truly outside and glimmers in the darkness of the unmanifest. When all seven heads are upraised and empowered within the initiate, this fourth head will open its mouth and swallow the universe. Something to think about. The keys to which are contained within the app workings. Think upon it as turning inside up and upside down and back to front. But the work of this head in the meantime is the cultivation of the serpentine qualities of coldness and detachment. Emulate the eye of Leviathan by observing events from afar and discerning their system and underlying patterns. So this is just repurposing crap that you probably get. Like we talked, he repurposing Thelema. This whole Dude, thing. Dude, he literally none, references Crowley a little yeah. bit farther down here. This is In just doing like, so. He required he acquires a new vision of his own purpose and identity, which Crow, Alistair Crowley would have termed his true will. So there you go. He's great. literally telling you like, this is the true will one. Yeah, it makes sense because it's associated with Tipperath, you know, solar, whatever. That's where you get yeah. the holy guardian angel. Dude, this is just Western tradition. Like, it's not even like repurposed occultism in general. This is repurposed Western tradition shit just with like a dragon pastiche on top. Yeah, this is literally just a guy decided he wanted to make an order that was like all the I other really, ones that were really like dragons, like dragons yeah, man. Dragons are really cool. Dragons are so cool. I want to do something with dragons. God. We're still relatively early into the book still. So like, well, I'm uh, imagining that the later chapters are going to get into like specifics of like the rituals and stuff that you're doing. And those are all well and good. If, yeah, if he's halfway, it's telling you how to do yoga yeah. and it's basically like Crowley yoga. If, That's if the problem with stuff like this because everyone simplifies it a little bit more and then they get their, they make their own thing and they simplify it a little bit more. And then you get to this guy where he's just kind of like, yeah, just like dragons, breathe bro. in dragons. <laughs> Look, and there's something to be said about simplifying practices, all right? Sometimes you're doing shit you don't need to be doing, okay? At the same time, sometimes you trying to cut corners and you end up with shitty product. Oh my God. Here's just like some Enochian stuff. It's just... So this is just a hodgepodge of stuff that people have already been doing and it's just dragons. Just Yeah, just he made it dragons. Put what if dragons. it was dragons? He said, what if it was dragons? All right, one more section and we'll end this one. This one's called the inner and outer world. Most contemporary schools of the left-hand path teach a distinction between the inner and outer worlds, the subjective and the objective universes. Such a distinction does not indeed exist. Under the third head, I suggested the model of a continuum containing both matter and mind stuff. I'm a... I, I'm... I'm... Uh, Okay, I can he do was this. almost there. And I then can it was do like, this. I can do this. <laughs> he was the two like, yeah. worlds do not overlap. The two worlds do overlap far more than most people, magicians included, realize. Our inner mental landscape is very much influenced and shaped by the people, places, and objects we encounter in our daily lives and is flavored by the imprints we receive from society, media, and advertising. But much of what we perceive as real and objective in the world around us is likewise filtered and distorted by the conditioning of our minds. For instance, the entire Western economic structure is founded upon flimsy fables and fantasies which have no objective validity whatsoever and it is sustained only because the populace and upon believing in it it is a useful tool for a 
exchange, but a tool which is ultimately without substance and which vaporizes under scrutiny. Yet for most people, finance is viewed as a feature of hard reality, and for many, it is the major focus of their life. The present 2009 recession is a symptom of what has happened when belief in the mythical money god begins to waver. As soon as people begin to believe that money has value again, lo and behold, it will have value and the recession will end. What? <laughs> this guy is blaming an economic crisis. The Michael this Kelly is- School of Economics. <sighs> the dragon will fix this. Yeah. What the? What the fuck? But, I, look, just uh, I I understand that finances are complicated. I understand that ec- the economy is complicated. I understand that trying to piece together everything that went wrong to create the uh, the 08 financial crisis is hard and i like if you asked me to do it on the spot i wouldn't do a great job but basically going like ah it's because people stop believing that money had like what the fuck does that even mean (laughs) you fucking you fucking knucklehead what are you talking about (laughs) lo and behold the the economy will go back to normal when people believe in money. what the fuck is the matter with you you know what the real problem is people stop believing in finance and they stop believing in themselves Oh boy. I This is only the first book. How many books are there in this whole deal? Like fucking 8. <laughs> we don't have time for all of this. I'm sure when you actually get to the like hey, do this ritual, I'm sure that's when you can start doing like and that's where a lot of these books that's what it comes down to. It's like are you going to uh, you do the practices, you do the rituals as they're outlined, did they work? Go ahead. Cool. Great. Go with it. But when it's wrapped up in like an initiatory system that seems really fucking suspect to start with, <laughs> It's very clear that from the get-go, I was already saying, fuck this thing. But I, I I knew what was coming. It's not hard to take a look at this and say, I know what particular brand of shit this is going to be. I'm really more taken aback by the comment about the financial crisis. That one's got me a little like, what the fuck are you talking about, you codger? Uh, $300. That's, that's his top tier. Oh, you looked? No, I'm asking. Was all oh, right? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, right on the fucking. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. 300 a month. Whoa. 300 a month. He might not understand how the financial crisis happened, but he's got a great idea for money. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. Ugh. Guys, I got to I got to go um I got to um I got to go I got to go do a thing. You got to go sign up for his Patreon? What? No. 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 <laughs> No, no. Well, no, no. man. I just, I'm. He said he's gonna get you to level all four. All I'm saying head. is, he's gonna get you level <laughs> level four all, head, man. All I'm saying is, you guys can bash onto this all you want, but dragons are pretty fucking cool. <laughs> you know, you've got us there. I mean, I really wish that I had thought to make a dragon centric uh, religious. Go ahead, order. S- say dragons aren't cool. Go ahead, put those words out into the ether. You won't. Dragons aren't cool. Dragons haven't been cool for a long time. When was um Double Dragon? When did Dragon Ball Z end the first time? Because they were already not cool by then. When did Puff the Magic Dragon come out? I love dragons. Fuck you. Well, well, that's why you're gonna. That's why I'm gonna get level four heads. So. That's why you're gonna get four heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I got a four I guess head. It sucks to suck, gentlemen. <laughs> time for the palate cleanser then we get to ask uh how goes the work well don't say it at once 
fucking dragons, man. Just drag, dude, bro. It's all about dragons. They're so fucking dope, man. I get, I just, like, I just keep thinking about fucking dragons, and they keep, it keeps me up at night because I keep thinking about what if I had multiple heads, and then the other heads couldn't sleep, so I'm trying to sleep, but I'm still awake because my other head is still awake because I got dragons, you know. I just can't stop thinking about dragons, man. It's fucking wild. Are you literally? Are you literally? What's that guy's name? Who's who's the main talker from ICP? Shaggy, are you Shaggy right now, dude? Are you being Shagster? No, it's not. fucking the mirror, main fucking dragons. How do they work? Yeah, that fucking dude, that guy. Oh, you boy. sound like him, bro. We got a theory about dragons. We got a theory, how about these? No, please, magic and shit. I'm begging you. We we oh. moved on to the palate cleanser. All right, please. If you, if you want to know how the work's been going for me, I had another instant of like really getting obsessed with something and like really trying to use some magic to like get something to happen and like come on please 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 i need this i really really and then i got sick of it and was like all right ain't fucking working fuck this shit and i just you know dropped it and then of course when you stop thinking about it then it happens you know so that was cool um overall uh i mentioned an abraxas thing going on that i had been working on i think i kind of made some headway on it it's mostly just it's it is very Jungian and I did a Jungian like dream analysis thing that ended with me doing a ritual and it's it was a raving success. It helped me really I, I hate when I gotta give young stuff because for so long I was just giving the guy hell. But I approached the dream symbols with the reverence and understanding and really tried to make sense of them. And I I had what you would call a psychological breakthrough. I realized something that I was doing something that was completely wrong in my perception of people and doing the ritual solidified it and it's it's really helped. That's fucking dope. That's really great, man. The Abraxas thing overall, I'm not, I'm still not 100% where it's going. And it sucks because I'm the one that always harps on if you don't have an actual goal in mind, what are you doing as far as magic? But this is clearly something is trying to make itself known. I just haven't figured out what it is yet. You you got an intention. You got an idea of what you're doing. I think that's, that's enough. What about you? You mentioned you were doing grimoire stuff. Yeah, the last couple weeks I was doing various Grimorium Verum stuff. It was good. It was fruitful stuff. Um, I will go ahead and say it. I have a long-standing relationship with a certain spirit from uh, that work. Ooh, now you sound like the edgy one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the problem, the- right? Because I was sitting there making up. Okay, I'm making fun of the dragon guy, and then like, what did you do last week? Well. I drew a bunch of circles and uh, fucking he- uh, hexagrams, and I-, I I drew stuff in blood, <laughs> and then I would talk to demons. I did some other stuff too, so it's it's cool. It's very, you know what it is. I haven't said this to anybody yet, but it's a weird thing that just occurred to me, right? While I was doing this, because I don't know how familiar with the idea of the cliff off in Kabbalah, anyone listening to this is, I know co-host knows what it is, but there's this idea of the bad parts of, there's like the night side of the tree, or like some people characterize them as like the husk of the tree, these empty shells. There's the, the bizarro version of the tree of life. The antimatter Um, universe. Yeah. People have various different theories or conceptions rather about how those form. 
And one of the more popular ones is that when the duality of the tree breaks with Gabora, the fifth Sephiroth, it springs where from all the cliff off. And I had read that at one point that all demons were brought under the power of Mars because Mars is Gabora and the shells all come from Gabora and are, that's where the seeds of them uh, gestate. Or oh something yeah. To that, that that's even, that's in Promethea. Oh, is it? Yeah. When he's going through the, the tree and that right. Alan Moore talks about that. Cause that's the, yeah. that's how you get to the clip off. Right. Yeah. So there you go. So there, even Alan Moore has even talked about this. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty, accepted yeah. notion in the the grimorian verum too is very martial because the two ma the major operations it seems seem to fall under the day of mars and the hour of mars listeners you can look at this episode and then take guesses as to when i did it knowing that it was had to have been on a tuesday my own affinity to the gaboran and the martial power I just thought about how that had actually played out in my life because the first ritual I ever remember doing, like real, like full ritual, was like an invocation of Mars. And my first magical motto has a certain connection to Gabura. The Grimoire Verum is the thing that I fuck with the most because it's, it has that kind of quality to me. I don't know. It's just one of those weird things when a certain practice starts to feel so familiar to you. You can kind of look back at your your own life and see what exactly brought you to it. That was a bit of a tangent. I'm sorry, but that's kind of like all I can really say is I did demon shit and I had an insight. I get you. I get you. The, having those moments where you start to realize something in your practice where it's like, oh no, this is a recurring theme of stuff that happens to me. You know, you right, can see yeah. the thread and it, it helps you recontextualize some things that have happened where it's like, oh no, the, the thread goes back this far or they're like, hey, I didn't realize I was doing this and now this makes sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. So productive right. couple weeks. All right, Gary, you got anything you want to say? Um, I hope you all had a fantastic time listening to... CMN that, news. No, no, there's CMN already needs the M, news. Yeah, you, the you N messed. in CMN. No, it's like, you, you, you just try. Why, why'd you got to ATM your audience? You That's ATM fucking bullshit, dude. <laughs> oh, boy. You just ATM'd it up. Here, well, you just atm the fuck up out of here. That's all right. We'll show you how to do an, an outro. This has been Chaos Magic News. The only podcast that is on the left-hand path of podcast where we're all about self-promotion and... Wait, I guess that's all podcasts. Never mind. <laughs> if you want to give us a whole bunch of money to, so we can talk about how fucking cool dragons are, you can find us at chaosmagicnews.com <laughs> where we'll have links to the pod, the occasional article for you to peruse, and some interviews with the leading edge of occultism who their opinions on dragons are not yet known. We're also but their on, opinions on the economy will probably be just as good. <laughs> We're also on <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter where we post much of the same and then uh, some dank memes to keep the algorithm entertained. We also have a Discord where you can come yak at us about the latest things you want to talk about. Hopefully, if we're really lucky, it's going to be about what? Yeah, dra it's another dragon joke. 
Dragon, dragon, yeah, dragon, dude. dragon, dragon, dude. dragons, guys. Holy fucking, fucking shit. Dude, so dragons, cool. man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time because I know the last word is going to be dragon. Okay, are we, uh, imagine if the movie Click had started, or sorry, rather, if the, imagine the movie Click had ended with someone else getting a different remote and just, like, using it on Adam Sandler. It's like... Yeah? yeah. <laughs> That's the joke. It's just like, what if it was like... What he if goes he's using it, yeah. No, well, it's like Adam Sandler's gonna use the remote to, like, click to blink somebody out of existence. But then he goes and it doesn't work, and it's like, what? And he looks down at the battery compartment. Like, oh, no. And then the other guy has his own remote that he has put the batteries in. It's red, it's red and like a little darker for some reason, like a little eviler for some reason. No, no, no. Like this, no, this is assuming that Adam Sandler is like the bat. He's like Thanos. <laughs> you didn't get what this was happening. Yeah, this okay. is literally, this is just like, what if the joke was. <laughs> That it ended like Endgame. <laughs> what if this was the Avengers? <laughs> yeah, the what, if, what if it was Avengers? <laughs>